I'm thankful for that. Thankful for the amazing grace that we sung about as well, that we all share. Um, <clears throat> when Eric asked me to do this New Year's message, one of the first things that came to mind was resolutions. Um, I've made many of those over the year and haven't always kept them, but there's something that I think of when I hear the word New Year's. It's a time of hope, but also I think it's a time of rejoicing and how faithful God has been to us over this past year, and He really has been. We go through a lot in a year, and He just walks with us every step of the way. My thought about resolutions led to me thinking about how sometimes they can be self-focused. It's good to want to improve ourselves, but sometimes we focus a lot on just ourselves. Um, we kind of can tend to rely on our own abilities. Our desire to better ourselves can come from a place of feeling inadequate sometimes. We're not wanting to better ourselves uh, to the glory of God sometimes. It's just that we don't feel good enough, and so we want to improve so that we can feel better about ourselves. So today I would kind of like to talk about the process of growing from being individuals in a saving relationship with Christ to becoming a healthy, active member of the body of Christ. I would like us to consider the idea that true desire for growth surrenders to God's bigger plan. You should have Bibles in the pew in front of you. I won't have any slides today. I wasn't that good to get those put together. Um, but uh, yeah, if you would turn with me to Philippians 3, 12 through 14. We'll look at this passage a little bit. <clears throat> that was Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Paul speaking here says, I do not mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And at first glance, this sounds a little bit like an individual race, which we all do have an individual race that we run uh, with Christ. But also we see the heavenly prize, which I can see as a unifying statement. We have a common heavenly prize that we all run for as well. <clears throat> if we run just for earthly gain or our focus is simply on earthly things, it's hard to move beyond ourselves. It is important to rejoice in our individual relationship with God. Paul notes this when he states, For which Christ Jesus first possessed me as an individual statement. To rejoice in what Christ has done is powerful, and that kind of focus will help us to focus beyond ourselves. John 1, 12 through 13 says, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. This relationship is available to all of us who believe. We all must start as an individual in a relationship with Christ. And I do want to drive that point home. There are those who aren't in this relationship with Christ, don't understand this relationship with Christ. And I would like to state with that scripture that believing in Christ and accepting him as Lord and Savior will allow you to be in that relationship and then, by extension, into the body of Christ. 
Paul then uses a family term. He says, dear brothers and sisters, acknowledging that he is a part of the family and that his readers are a part of the family too. We see him say, forgetting the past. That's kind of an easy one to do on New Year's. There's a lot we want to forget a lot of years. Um, But there's one thing we don't want to forget, and that's the saving grace of Christ in our life. And so when he uses this term, forgetting the past, it's remembering that because we have a right standing with God as believers, we can move forward together in that common bond that we now share. We also have a common goal, which is to bring glory to God as we expand his kingdom. This unifying is something that Christ desired, prayed for, and modeled. If you would wish to turn to John 17, we'll read verses 1 and 20 through 23. Um, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. I would like to point out in that verse 1, Jesus' desire is to bring glory to his father. He's not just for himself. He's unified with his father in that desire. He goes on to say in verse 20, through 23, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And Jesus lived and died in harmony with his Father's will and was raised to new life. Um, This unity in Jesus' prayer has a purpose. It is so that the world will believe that God sent him and that God loves us as much as he loves Christ. And so, and it's also wonderful to note in that, that Jesus prayed for us. He says, and for all who will ever believe in me. I just love that John chapter 17, that high priestly prayer where Jesus prays that for all of us sitting here today who would one day believe in him. I ask that you please turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. This will be our main portion of passage today. And so holding your place here might be helpful as we will return to this passage throughout the message. As I considered and prayed about the value of the body of Christ working together, the illustration or example of a piano came to mind. And I love that Rebecca played the piano this morning. Um, The piano is an instrument made up of many keys and many notes, but each one is an individual note. That's kind of what I think of and why that illustration came to my mind as we're talking about being unified into a body. We go through great pains to place the piano in a position that is best for it and where it can be best heard. It's not something we want to move again anytime soon. But a piano needs to be somewhere where it's not too close to a heat source. We put it in a place that is good for it, but also in a place that is good for the listeners so it can project best to those who are listening. When every part of the piano is working well under the hands of a skilled musician, the results are beautiful. This is a little how the church is designed to work. 
First, we talked about the many keys, the many parts working together. The piano started out as what was called a harpsichord, which more of a finger-plucking instrument with not very many strings. Now we're the whole way up to 220 strings and 88 keys on a piano. has become a lot more capable of expression, but that has been in part to the many added parts that are working together to create that expression. And we see that in the church as well, that as members work together as part of the body of the Christ, there's a great harmony that can be produced from that. Also, God cares about the position that he places us in. It's not just for his message going out, it's for our well-being as well. And thirdly, God is the one who plays the melody. The piano doesn't get all the glory. It's just an instrument at the end of the day, but God is the one who gets the glory. So I want to keep that in mind as we look at this illustration as well. There are two, po- two main points that I would like to draw out in this passage today. The first point being, true unity in the body can only be achieved through the common bond of the Holy Spirit. And I will read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. We'll look at that. <clears throat> in fact, I'll go ahead and read our whole passage here today, which will be 12 through 27. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts that we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the whole body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer within it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. For this first point, I'd like to focus on the verses 12 and 13. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. First, I'd like to consider the extreme diversity that's being talked about here, especially between Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free men. There's a lot of diversity here. 
that these people would never have otherwise been seen in the same group. However, because they have been baptized into Christ's family at salvation, they're living in unity. Romans 6, 3 through 4 says, Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And I want to look at that word baptized that's mentioned there, into Christ's family. Usually when we think of baptism, we think of water baptism, of the outward act of showing an inward change. But at the moment of salvation, we are brought into God's body, brought into that unity of the body of Christ. And so that word baptized there is kind of a neat picture of laying aside the old, the old man dying and a new person rising up. Now I would like to look at Colossians 3, 12 through 15, to talk about the putting on of the new and what that looks like. That was Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Since God shows you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderheartedness, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And so we see the words, clothe yourself. And that makes me think of what happens after baptism. We rise up in a new man. We have to put on something new. And so that speaks of the peace and the love that binds us together in that harmony that we take action to put on. John fourteen twenty seven says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot receive. So don't be troubled or afraid. This peace that is mentioned here, the Greek word for that peace that's used here, is irene, which means harmony, tranquility, safety, welfare, and health, often with an emphasis on a lack of strife or reconciliation in a relationship and when one has peace with God. And so when we think of that peace that the Holy Spirit brings, there's a heavy emphasis on reconciliation with God. And when we understand how we've been reconciled to God, That helps us in relation to how we extend love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a scripture here to enforce that thought. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 and 13 through 14. If you'll turn with me there. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There is a humility that comes when we realize that 
we did nothing to obtain this grace, and there's nothing we can do to further achieve more grace. And that helps us with the extending of grace to others. Also, I'd like to note that the word masterpiece is used there. Can't make a masterpiece with a single stroke. It takes a lot of strokes and a lot of different colors all blended together to make a masterpiece. And so as each individual is important, all of the combined individuals make the masterpiece. When we truly understand the undeserved privilege of reconciliation with God or the peace that we receive from the spirit that binds us together, it should tear down the walls of hostility between us. If we look over here in Ephesians 2 at verses 14 through 15, we'll look at, let's go up to 13 actually and then through 14. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And so you see that breaking down of the wall of hostility. Not really... It's not our efforts that break it down. It was Christ that broke that down by giving us that common bond of reconciliation. The Holy Spirit also connects us together to Christ, the head of the body. It's pretty hard to get a body to move in unison if it's not connected to a head. The head is the nerve center that directs the whole body. And so the Holy Spirit does a powerful function of connecting us to that head. There is a master note that a piano is tuned to. It's known as an A440. This is a pure note, an undistorted, unchanging note that can be trusted for perfect tuning. When each individual note is tuned based on that master note, the piano can achieve perfect harmony. And I'd like to connect that with the fact that when believers as individuals are tuned into Christ through the Holy Spirit, only then can we live in harmony with Christ and with each other. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The word I'd like to focus on there is the truth. Christ is the unchanging truth. We know that if we tune into him, that we will always be on tune. And so we can trust that master tuning note. But as individuals, everyone has to surrender to that. This brings us to the conclusion of the first point, which was true unity can only be achieved through the common bond of the Holy Spirit. As we move now to our second point, my desire is that we can come to understand that it is the gratitude that comes when we understand the grace we have freely received that compels us to extend grace and leads to true obedience to God. Which brings us to our second point, true love for God produces surrendered obedience to God. To summarize the rest of our passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 27, we see a lot of distinct lack of love. There's an argument that Paul makes that stop arguing among the members and start working together. There's a lack of love there, and I would like to address that and what Jesus defines true love to look like. So for that, will you please turn with me to John 15, 9 through 13? 
I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, my joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. And so you see that Jesus talks about this active love, a love that lays her life down, like Christ modeled, laying his life down for us. <clears throat> the word used here for love in the Greek is agape, which means an active love, the kind of love that God has for his son and his people and the active love his people are to have for God, each other, and even enemies. <clears throat> what is it that stirs our hearts to love each other in this way? Let's look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. That was Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Because of your love, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who are over all and in all and living through all. So we see the words, be always be humble and gentle and patient. Once again, pointing back to, he says, because of your love and because of how we've been loved. That is how we can extend that humility and patience we see that word, we, and we sung this song, bind us together. We see that word, bind us together with peace. And that's that same peace that we talked about earlier. That peace that is a place of safety. That peace that can be in our own hearts. And that we can extend when we rest in that place of peace. <clears throat> Once again, it says there is only one spirit and one baptism. There's one way into this body. And Christ is ahead of this body. This active love for God and others surrenders to the fact that God in his love and grace has placed us in his body where we can thrive and be most effective for him. Now that's a difficult one. If you look at our main passage at verse 16, it says, and if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye. Would that make it any less a part of the body? And that struck me as interesting because it's not the ear being told that it's not a part of the body. It's the ear saying it's not a part of the body. I've been in that place in my life sometimes where it's hard to feel like you fit in or like you're a valuable part of the body. And so there can be some insecurity there where you're saying, 
I'm not a part of this body because I'm not worthy to be a part of this body. And so trusting God that he, in his knowledge, has placed you right where you need to be and where you can be for your own health, but also where you can be the greatest, um, have the greatest effect for him is important. And to truly love God is to trust him. Now, this one's been difficult for me as well. My mom told me my whole life that I have a good heavenly father, but if it's not modeled well by an earthly father, sometimes that's difficult to grasp, and I know I've struggled with that most of my life. And so there's a passage I'd like to look at as a reminder of God's goodness and the good father that he is. <clears throat> that's Romans 8, 15 through 16. You can turn there if you wish, um, but I'll read it here. Romans eight fifteen through 16. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted us as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirits to affirm that we are God's children. I love that passage because the adoption wordage there is powerful. That to be adopted is to be chosen um, chosen out of many for God to look at you and say, I want that person and adopt you into his family. And that Abba Father term is powerful too. That's daddy type of a wording there, which is something Christ used as he prayed to his father as well here on earth. And so you see that just as Christ was connected to his father and has brought us into his family, that's the same father that we have. And he's good and he's faithful. He's proven to be good and faithful in my life. And so Though I still struggle with it, I know I can trust him, and I know that his placement where I am in the body is important, not in a prideful way, but in a way that surrenders to his goodness. And I would like to encourage you with that as well today, that God has placed each and every one of you right where he wants you to be in his body and will use you for his glory as you surrender to that. Once we realize in God's knowledge that he has placed every member where they need to be, it will help us to give equal value to every member of the body. Now, if you look at verse 18 in that 1 Corinthians 12, it says, But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants. Now, it's easy to look at this through our physical eyes and say, Well, maybe that isn't the best fit for that person there. But... God has the greater picture and the greater plan. And when we surrender to the fact that he has the greater picture and that he knows what will make this harmony work best, that he has placed that person there, we can rest in that. And that takes a burden that sometimes we place on ourselves off. I would like to look at, the, at this following passage, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. If you'll turn with me there, that's 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, 
not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So a few things I'd like to point out there. That love comes from God. We've discussed that, that through the Holy Spirit, connecting us to the heart of God, when his spirit joins with our spirit, we understand that love, and that love grows as we grow in our understanding of just what it is that he's done for us. And sometimes through our sacrificial living of laying down our lives for others, we get to get a better picture of what that love looks like as well. Also, he says that <clears throat> we didn't pursue God, he pursued us. And so that's kind of a, a neat thought once again that we didn't have to run after him, he ran after us. Which brings us back to that Philippians 3 passage we looked at where where Paul says, I run to possess what Christ first possessed me for, or another way to put it is first took hold of me for. And so that idea of him grabbing hold of us and bringing us to himself. He loved us first, and I think that is an important thing for us to remember. When we love God, we love what he values. Our common goal is the advancement of his kingdom. When we operate in God's love, we look out for the health and well-being of the other members of the body, realizing without them, we will never achieve the harmony God desires. We may do pretty well as a single note, but the harmony that God desires and that unity that Jesus prays for can only happen in his body as we work together. And I believe that's an important thing to remember. Also, this kind of love, this agape love, looks out for each other. So when we see a brother or sister hurting, we'll help point them back to Christ. We'll realize that unless we're all in tune with Christ, that it's going to affect the harmony, it's going to affect the melody. One note out on a piano is, uh, is not great. But also we need to approach this with love and not go in a judgmental way and say, you're out of tune, you know. But it's, it's a way that uh, we need to keep our eyes open in a loving way and approach it in Christian love, caring about our brother or sister. <clears throat> As we strive to focus on the tuning note in Christ, my desire is that we would come along, as I just said, and help them to fix their eyes on Christ and I do want to make that clear that it's easy sometimes to want people to come alongside and tune to us or tune to what we want or what we want it to sound like but we need to help them fix their eyes back on that master note back onto Christ much like the church um, as we talked about before God is interested in the placement um, or when we place a piano, there's that idea again that it's important where it goes. And I do want to stress that point that God has placed us here in this community for his good purposes. He's placed us in this particular body of the church so that we can, um, so that we can bring him glory. There's another part of the piano, the sustain pedal down there underneath 
there's a couple of them, but there's a main one that lifts all the mutes off of the strings so that the harmony can ring out louder and clearer. And I think of that when I think of all the people that serve in the church. That's that lifting of the stress off of of the other members in the body. It's a looking out for others to where you actually help that harmony carry louder and further than it than it normally would if we weren't working to help lift that load for each other. I'm just so thankful for all the people who serve day in and day out in this church and they'll serve quietly and may never receive recognition for it. But it is a powerful thing that helps sustain this melody that we're working for together. We need this fellowship in this body as much as those around us. We need this harmony too. Sometimes we can be very outward focused on how we're expressing ourselves into the community. But we need this within the body as well. And Christ knew that when he prayed for that unity. And so it's an important thing to remember about health uh, within our own body. And another thing to keep in mind that no matter how hard the parts work in a piano, if they're not tuned to that note, it will repel the listener rather than attract. So we can work very hard to do everything that um, that we think is right and that will bring glory to God. But if we're not actually in tune with what God wants, then there will it will have the opposite result. <clears throat> and another thing, God will press our note and our tuning will be revealed. As we know, Christ said, out of the mouth or out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so sometimes we can want to take a sideline seat and say, well, I'm kind of out of the game, so... Um, it won't affect either way whether or not I'm in tune with Christ, but we are in a body. We're unified. What what our lives put out affects those around us, and it affects the overall harmony as well. And so, and you're not left out. You're a part of the harmony, and God wants to use you as part of the harmony. And so, it is important to consider how tuned in we are. And once again, we need to remember this is all for the glory of God. I mean, the piano has beautiful woodworking on it. It has ivory-capped keys. It's nice to look at, but it's really nice when someone plays it well. That's when it really has its value, and God is the one who's playing this music. God's the one who composes this melody, and ultimately, as Christ was in that John 17 passage, we ought to be about bringing him glory. We've searched out in our Philippians 3, 12 through 14 passage that true desire for growth surrenders to God's plan. We've considered in our 1 Corinthians 12 passage how true unity can only be achieved through the common bond of the Holy Spirit and that true love for God produces surrendered obedience to God. So how can we apply this truth from Scripture? Are we out of tune living in the flesh or are we in tune with God? I would like to consider the following passage, Galatians 5, 19 through 23, if you'll turn with me there. This will help us to search out where our hearts are at. <clears throat> We 
which says when when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the result is very clear. So over here we have a list of <clears throat> sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see, we usually read the fruits of the Spirit one a little further down, but there's two lists there. There's one that is works produced when we live in our flesh, and there's a lot of disunity talk there, division and dissension. Um, it breaks apart that harmony as we're self-focused because that's what living in the flesh is. But then over on this side, we have the fruits of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And I would like to point out that that list does start with love because the rest of those flow out of true love, that agape love, that laying down of self, putting off of our own fleshly desires and focusing on that bigger picture. This fellowship of unity in the body is a true gift from God, provided through the common bond of the peace that comes from reconciliation from God. And I would just encourage you to enjoy encouraging brothers and sisters this new year as we strive toward our common goal of bringing God glory. I would like to close today with a blessing prayer out of Ephesians 3, 16 through 20. I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down in God's love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how long, how wide, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that come from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might think or ask. Lord, I thank you for the gift of fellowship. I thank you for the unity that you've given us that ties us together. And I do pray as we go forward in this new year, Lord, that we would all be able to work together for your glory and enjoy that common bond that we have that helps us as we strive toward the prize. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.